Hello everyone, welcome to All the Film Things. I'm your host Elizabeth, and today, as the Oscars are approaching, we will be talking about another Oscar contender, my third favorite film of the year, Celine Song's debut feature film, Past Lives. And joining me today is my friend and cinematographer, Josie Cruz. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're all the film things debut. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Of course, we've been talking about this for a little while now. So I'm so excited. We're finally doing an episode and I'm sure it won't be the last. So thank you so much for watching this film. And this was a film that you made a special point in seeing, you said. So yeah. what drew you to watching the film? I was just scrolling on Instagram, right? And I think I had just gotten one of the promotional contents for it. And I I think it was just the mention of Inyun. And mm. like, I don't know, I really enjoy concepts like that. There's like a similar concept with Japanese culture, having like a red string kind of tie you between two people together, essentially. And like how like fate kind of brings them together in some way. So hearing this with Inyon was really cool and I wanted to see like the take on it. And it deals with romance. I'm a hopeless romantic. I really enjoy mm-hmm. that, so. Have you heard of the concept of Inyon before? I have not. So learning it and even when I was rewatching it, trying to like understand it more, I still feel like there's parts of it that I might not understand as much or I just have to get out, like, my head out of the box to understand it a bit more. Yeah, it's definitely a concept that we as, like, a Western audience aren't used to, but it is so beautiful, and that whole montage was excellent. But even the trailer, like, being introduced to the film, starting out with that description of what Inyun is, was absolutely captivating. And I think, I mean, the trailer was so... Like, you would come across the trailer, right, when you saw it on Instagram? Yeah. So starting with that trailer and that concept and what will happen, that big mystery of, like, will they be together? Will she run off to him? It was so engaging, and it created this mystery that I think a lot of people became interested in after that trailer. It was an excellent trailer. Yeah. I thought it was kind of funny when they included the line where Arthur goes, and I'm like, the evil American white husband that's like splitting you two apart. I think that also like kind of drew me in a little bit too. It's like, oh, it's not just two people meeting. There's like, there's more to it too. Yeah. And they're aware of that kind of trope. That's kind of like a breaking the fourth wall moment, which is done in like the first scene, right? When, when Nora looks to the camera. Yeah. So they're kind of aware of that romance movie trope of, oh, he's just going to take her and run away and live together happily ever after. But this is not that story. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. It's more grounded in reality with that wonderment of possibilities. And uh, it's, it's just such a beautiful film. Yeah. I thought going back to that opening, like intro scene, I thought it was really interesting how it's the only time that they really do it too. They use outside characters that you don't even see. And it feels like you're talking with them, but they're like asking the question, like, who are these people to each other and stuff? And when it breaks the fourth wall with Nora looking at the camera, it kind of, it's like, what's really going on in her head? And you're just trying to figure that out through the whole movie. Like, what does she really feel between these two people? Mm -hmm. And it was such a great way to start off the film with that outsider perspective looking in like, hmm. And we kind of return to it later in the film with a whole new 
outlook on it. So did you happen to see Anatomy of a Fall? I have not, but I've been told. To okay. Oh, yeah. Well, I know Craig and Lena really enjoyed it. I've been talking with them about it. <laughs> There's something similar in that way to that opening scene, which is a really cool tactic. But also in that scene, there's the slow zoom in on them. Mm-hmm. And I found a lot of similarities between 70s new Hollywood films with this film. Do you happen to watch a lot of 70s films? I, as a cinematographer, I feel really bad saying this, but no. <laughs> That's I okay. I probably should watch more and I'm open to recommendations. Well, I think we might have a next episode if we're going to do a new Hollywood film. Okay, let's go. <laughs> I have so many recommendations. Oh, I'm so excited now. <laughs> this, is, this is the era that I really like focusing on nowadays. But there's that 70s quality to this film with the slow zooms from a distance. They even had a Leonard Cohen song in the beginning as Nay Young's parents are packing. Leonard Cohen's song, Hey, That's No Way to Say Goodbye, is used. There's a 70s film called McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which the sole soundtrack of the film is by Leonard Cohen. And it is one of my favorite soundtracks to a film. It fits so perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's an anti-Western. It's, it's so good. Um, but the use of slow zooms and the ending not being what you want, like the happy ending, like an 80s ending. Yeah. It was a satisfying, real ending. Oh my God. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, like the slow zooms used throughout the movie, I was thinking the whole time, even when I was watching it in theaters, like the movie, it's very good. And I like how they pace it this way, but it's, it's slow burning. It's very, very, they're not going to rush it. And I think using those slow zooms probably also help kind of pace it too. Like, no, 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 no. We're going to take this at this pace. And you're going to suffer with us or you're going to really enjoy this, but it's going to be slow. Yeah. That is so true. That's such an excellent point because it's such a slow film. And even the, the silence in between the dialogue sometimes, like silence is really important in this film, which mm-hmm. I'm so glad they utilize silence to that degree because sometimes I just feel like there's just not enough silence in films nowadays. Everything uh-huh. has a score attached to it or sound effects. When silence can be a really powerful tool, And another director who uses silence really well, which I was reminded of towards the end with that scene. We're going to get into this a little later, but Mm -hmm. where they're standing in front of each other right before he leaves. Oh, my God. Gosh. (laughs) I love that moment so much. I was holding my breath. But that moment, the simplicity of that moment is so similar to a moment towards the end of La Ventura by Michelangelo Antonioni. Mm -hmm. And he's one who... A lot of people don't really like his films because they don't follow the typical structure and there's a lot of silence. You got to really be patient, but I really enjoy his work and the use of silence was so similar in it. Oh, I just really appreciated that aspect of it. Yeah. No, I think I think silence is so powerful. It speaks words even when you're not hearing it. I think it's interesting when they place the silence cuz they also place a lot of silence at the end of each time that Nora and, and Hesong they interact, um, mm-hmm. like when they're kids and then they say goodbye and she moves away or in the middle when she's like, hey, we probably should stop talking for a bit. And then they end the call and it's just silence. And then, like you said, the ending scene, he's leaving in the Uber, silence. It's like a lot of the words 
that don't get to be said, which I feel like it accumulates even over time. And that's why they're experiencing these past lives. Oh, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And the silence is um, it adds to the suspense and it just makes sense for the film because there's so much that is hard to describe about the film, about their feelings towards each other. So having that mystery through silence and that suspense through silence just took the film to another level. And that's something that, you know, you can't always get away with that because you have to have great direction, great performances and a great story. So it worked perfectly for this film. And the silence of what you're saying of between these moments, that's such a great catch because it's like the audience is holding on to each line, just waiting and waiting for the next one. And it's, it's just a beautiful film. It's, it's so good. Yeah. The silence mixed with the slow burn. It's just like, oh, it's like, say what you want to say. But it's also like, no, things are just, <laughs> it's just how life is going to work out. Exactly. And we have that contrast of reality versus wonderment. Mm. Um, and that's very much represented by the two men, but also Nora herself. Because I don't know if you notice this, but the dreamer side of her faded as we go through the three parts of the film. So the film is split within childhood, you know, tween years, they're 12, then young adults then adulthood. And she said that when they were kids and young adults, they were babies. And then when they meet in adulthood, we're not babies anymore. So that dreamer side of her has faded, but there's still a little glimmer of it that we get, which works so well with silence and just watching the actors in these scenes. For this to be Celine Song's debut feature, you know, it's probably one of the first big roles for Greta Lee. This was just an outstanding film, outstanding performance. And um, I think I'm jumbling my words a little bit, but I hope I'm making sense. <laughs> no, no, you are. Don't worry. Um, I agree too with Nora kind of growing up, like in the beginning in her childhood, I guess that first act or whatever you want to call it. She mentions to her mom, like, yeah, this is the boy I'm crushing on. And like, we're in love. Like he would marry me if I told him in a heartbeat. And you kind of watch that stay true for his song throughout the film. And that's why it's like, oh my God, what's going to happen still, even when they get older. And it is interesting to see how her dreamer side evolves. I think the one thing that always stayed consistent was her with what she wanted to do with just herself and her career and even if the career path changes or strays or she finds her own little niches with it, like she's still dreaming like, oh yeah, I still want to be big. I still want to make this art. But I think she definitely let go of the dreamer's side of love. And I think that's where she got a little bit more grounded, especially in the second act after she meets Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. When you're talking about how the dreamer side of Song has kind of stayed the same, There are two shots in the film that I think are the perfect images that summarize the film. And one of those is that shot of them as children walking separate ways going home. So you see Sung on the left side of the frame who is just walking straight on a flat road, I guess. Yeah. Sidewalk. And then she is on the right side of the frame climbing upstairs. It shows a very different trajectory for them because she's, I mean... Song has goals too. His intent was to go to China and study Mandarin for his work, but the ambition in Neyang and Nora was just different. She was always driven and she was going 
upwards. And it, it just shows so perfectly in that moment. Yeah. I don't know if this was like also a creative decision, I guess, for the shot or the framing. But like, I think it's kind of interesting that they put Nora on the staircase as well, because it's like she had to go as a young child immigrating to Canada and then to New York when she got older. She had to go through all these different life changes, learning English and changing her name. So she got the steps. She had to climb a little bit. Whereas with Hesong, not that he didn't go through stuff as well, but like he stayed in South Korea and he did the kind of things that he expected he was going to be doing, like military service, you know? Yeah, his life is more of a straight path. Even just in terms of where they are in their lives, even at the same age, when they meet in adulthood, he's still much more of a dreamer than she is. And he still has that hope of maybe they could be together, but he does accept that they are at different points and this is not the life that they would be together in. And that image is also a metaphor for that of not just how their lives are going with her just completely going upwards, but just in terms of how at different points in their lives, which also conflicts with um, that their paths are just not crossing, you know, they almost crossed when they were young adults, yeah, but that didn't work out. Like there's little points where the paths kind of like combine for a second, but then they they split again. Yes. And it's in those very subtle moments. And it's very slow. As you mentioned, slow is a great word in describing this film because it's very slow. I mean, this film takes place over, what, 24 years or so? Yeah. 12 when they were tweens, that first part of the film. And then 12 years later. So that's adulthood. So they're 24. And then it was another... 12 years, I think. And they're 12 years, so they're 36. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's just amazing. We see them at such different points in their lives, and oh, it's such a beautiful story of how they connect. And they do have these fleeting moments, as you're saying, where it kind of seems like they connect a little bit on the ferry. She's laughing and smiling, and she almost loses herself in that dreamer type. But then she just brings herself back to reality, and it's so quick and subtle. But it's just these like slow, subtle moments. And um, that's one of the best parts of the film. It's slowness and it's taking its time, not rushing. Yeah, I agree. So I want to read the IMDb plot summary. Yeah. Nora and Sung, two deeply connected childhood friends, are wrested apart after Nora's family emigrates from South Korea. 20 years later, they are reunited for one fateful week as they confront notions of love and destiny. And the film stars Greta Lee, Taeyo Yo, I hope I'm saying his name correctly, and John Magaro, I hope I'm saying his name correctly too. So the director, Celine Song, had a unique moment in her life where she was at a bar next to her husband and her first love from childhood. One is from Korea, who doesn't know English. One is very American. And she was confronted with these two different cultures, two very different people who know her completely differently. And that's what inspired the film. I love that little inspiration trivia. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. When I watched this the second time, I was actually watching this on the plane to L.A. I had a feeling it would be on during your plane ride. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised they had it. I was so excited. And Ah, watching it again for the second time, I picked up on a lot of different things that I either didn't notice, just like 
subconsciously just didn't notice or like I kind of chose to ignore the first time around. And with the second watch, they're like being able to focus on how they phrase things and wanted to communicate with each other, like the writing. Celine Song did so well. And it's cool that you mentioned this fact that it was based off of a real life experience because I feel like it takes a certain, yeah, it takes like having to live through that to kind of understand how to properly communicate this kind of situation, especially between, you know, two people you really care about, like your your husband and then the friend. And I just really enjoyed seeing how she wrote, how they communicated and everything and the subtle body languages. Because that's, that's how I feel like I would be if I was in this situation too, you know? Mm-hmm. Could you relate to this story in some way? It's very original to her, but it's something that I think a lot of people could relate to in a way. I would say, yeah, I relate to it in two different ways, I would say. Um, The first one, me being Asian American. So, you know, being able to experience life and, you know, bond with people from a similar culture or who like have been immersed in the culture that I am from and stuff. My experiences sometimes with those people are a little bit different than my experiences with more like Americanized people. And I think it was interesting just to see how the love was communicated between the Mm. two. And this is, I guess, what I picked up a little bit more in my second watch through was with Arthur. He'll like talk about it. And it does come off a little like, I don't want to say blunt at first, but a little bit blunt sometimes, but in a good way. He wants to like address things and talk about it and say how he feels. Whereas with Kesong, he tries to weave around and like it's a bit awkward for him to like have to talk about this but he still wants to talk about it which I think Mm -hmm. is really cool and he kind of mentions how like things are making him feel and like in more question kind of ways rather than saying like I'm the evil American husband you know and like having that kind of humor with it there's like less humor in how he approaches it and I guess the second way I relate to this is just having like a first love and then like meeting other people later and just wondering, like, what if something happened like this? Like, what would I, I do? I know. It's such a, yeah, I can relate to that part of it, too. It's um, like, what could happen? What would happen? I think that would be an amazing thing. I mean, the way it's played out in this film is just beautiful because it provides a closure. It does. And I think a lot of people yearn for closure and yes. to have that, <laughs> you yes. especially relate to that. Closure is so important. And oh, that's why the slow burn, no matter how much it hurt, like you wanted to cry at the end, it was fine because it was closed off. It was a chapter ended. Yes, it's a devastating ending, but it's satisfying because you know it's real and you know that's how it should be. It stays true to the story and to reality. I mean, it would be a little wild if she just ran off with a song, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like you've been married for years with this person. Like this is the person who has physically been there with you and just went with you to Canada to see your family for Thanksgiving and stuff, you know, or whatever Mm -hmm. holiday it was. I do think a big important part in this story of why the ending, you know, she stays with Arthur and why that happened is just because how much time had passed. Like, if this had happened earlier when she had met Arthur, like, before they got married even, I think her running off with Hyesung could have been a more realistic ending. But life 
happens. And if you take too long, it's too long. And Yes, that's that actually brings me to a question that I was going to ask you. So let's say they were able to meet, whether it be in Seoul or New York, when they were 24. <sighs> Do you think they would have been together at that point if they could make it work? I think they would have. I think they definitely wow. would have gotten together. But I remember a conversation, and I think it was the conversation that they had at the bar. Arthur kind of faded out a little bit because they kept talking Korean. Understandably so. They were getting into more intimate kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. That was just really for them too. But they are talking about their past lives. Like, would we have gotten together if I had visited you? Would we have broken up? Honestly, I think they would have broken up. Had they had really time together. Yeah. Whoa. What makes you think that? Yeah. Right. It, it <laughs> kind of goes back to, to what we talked about with Nora and her dreamer kind of state, especially when she is single or she's not married. She looks out for herself. She does the things she needs to do for her. And especially when it comes to her career and her art. And I guess that's where I kind of relate. Like I'm going to go where my career goes because At the end of the day, whether I have multiple lovers or whatnot in the future, like I'm going to have me in the end. And I think I know they're like 30s by the end of the movie, but this is like a very good coming of age to me kind of film in a sense, like the early to late 20 year olds coming of age movie. Yes, that's not the typical coming of age, like teen aged around, but it really kind of is a coming of age story. That's such a great catch. Yeah. Usually with coming of age, they're like graduating high school. They're on to that next part of their lives. But I guess we kind of like forget that there's always multiple chapters even after that kind of coming of age. Like you're still going to have different coming of ages in different stages of your life too. And I guess with this one, the focus is more on the romantic side rather than what are you going to do for the rest of your life? Because Nora kind of keeps that focus the whole time. She doesn't have to worry about that kind of coming of age. And I think it does definitely probably come from her parents being artists and the Asian background as well. There's always a focus on like the career, but like coming of age in your, in your romance, your interactions with other people. You had mentioned something that I thought was so brilliant, how opposite Haesung and Arthur are when it comes to talking about their emotions. Yes. So... They seem to be completely opposites. The language barrier, their culture barrier, they're just from completely different worlds. Did you regard them as complete opposites? Superficially, yes. They even dress like Hisung. He dresses more formal and like business attire. Arthur's a little bit more laid back too. I think there's probably a part of them in their personalities that is very much alike. Like when Hisung comes over to their apartment and stuff and, you know, Arthur's making those efforts to speak in Korean and get to know him as well. For Nora's sake, even they they connect. They have like a moment and they connect. And even in the bar later, when they have a conversation, they connect and they realize that they have their own inyun together, mm-hmm. their own relationship without Nora in the middle. I think they would be best buds like bros. If Nora and Arthur go to South Korea. It's because Arthur wants to see his son. Yeah. They want to hang out. I mean, he did invite him directly when they were departing each other to come to Seoul. He's sequel? like, definitely. Oh my gosh, a sequel. That would be... That'd be so funny. <laughs> 12 years later. Oh my God. 
they finally visit. Now they're, oh my god. So there's a lot of similarities between before sunrise, before sunset. So if they did that, that kind of trend of not every nine years, like the before trilogy. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very unlikely that they will. And I'm not sure if I would want a sequel, but it would be interesting to revisit in 12 years or however long they want to space out the sequels in real life and revisit this relationship. That's true. I also think it's a very unlikely sequel. I think if anything, it might be less drama, more like comedy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I did want to continue as much as they have their differences, but they saw that like kind of bro bond. I think there's probably a part that we don't get to see in the movie of how Arthur and his song are to an extent like that is very similar because Nora, Nora still fell in love with both of them, albeit mm-hmm. at different times with different understandings of what love is to her. But there's something that she's attached to in both of them. And I think that's probably where things get very similar. Yes. I kind of see it as, um, because she says, the Nay Young you remembered doesn't exist here. But that little girl did exist. She's not sitting here in front of you. And she goes on and says, but it doesn't mean she's not real. 20 years ago, I left her behind with you. So there was a point where once she emigrated, that side of her, that Nay Young side of her, is no longer. So that part of her is still in there, but she is not that same person. She is Nora, and she has a life with Arthur in America where she wants to make her dreams, her goals come true. Yeah, I think having that name change is a a big signifier of that change in her or that little girl, you know, not existing anymore. And that line in the beginning when they first Skype about being a crier, she's like, I stopped crying once I emigrated because I realized no one cared. <laughs> Another reason that there's like a split between Nora and Nayoung. Even you had mentioned before that she was saying that she'll probably marry Sung. That was her as Nayoung as a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. She also, we were talking about the scene of Arthur calling out the tropes and if she would possibly run away with a song, which of course is unrealistic in this story, but she says, do you even know me? I love that line because the audience is faced with this question because even thinking she would take a chance with Song, a kiss or leaving Arthur for Song, as drastic as that would be, thinking that she would, would mean that we don't know her at all. That's true. That is, that is very true. There's this kind of departure path within her that is shown on the screen between Sung and, and Young when they depart each other on those steps and as he walks along. There's also a path split in her with the two names. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a great catch. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I really like this film. It just speaks to me. Like, yeah, I feel so connected to it and I just, I get it. And uh, it's so complex yet so simple in a lot of ways like even the scene in the bar you would think it's a simple shot of you know they're just sitting at a bar talking three people but the complexity within that Mm -hmm. oh it's so hard to describe (laughs) yeah I think everything's so very intentional with this and 
I think going kind of into this whole Nora, young Nora versus older Nora, and like, do we really know her um, kind of idea. It's interesting that she is the main character, right? But we Mm -hmm. only see her at the times that she's essentially interacting with Hesung, only those parts of her life. So we don't get to see, like we, we do get little bits, like when she does immigrate and some of the conversations with her and Arthur, her and her family. But we don't get much more than that. We don't get like any voiceover of like what's going on in her head. We don't get any other additional information other than what Hesung knows as well, pretty much, mm-hmm. whether it's through social media or what she's told him directly. So it kind of does add more into like, do we really know her? Because we're only seeing these small moments of her life, although they are very important, very big. They're not nearly as long as the 36 years she's lived, you know? Right. We don't even see her parents anymore. We don't. Like they come back from the trip and they're in the airport 12 years later and then, oh, they're married. Yeah. <laughs> that like got punched like, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I love that you pointed out the little glimpses that we do see of her because it's very show don't tell in that way, Mm -hmm. which I love. That is like one of the golden rules of film. Oh, yeah. And we see her at her job, you know, at a writer's workshop, writer's panel at some points. But we don't get too into what her work is. Same with Arthur. We see him at a book signing. So we know he's successful and we know she's successful because she's on this panel of fellow writers. I believe, critiquing a younger writer's work. So she's established herself and she's still going upwards. I mean, she's still... I love that we can mark how Nora has changed over time through this one question that Sung asks her, what award do you want to win? <gasps> yeah, it changes. It's, it changes. And it's first, what, the Pulitzer or the... Nobel, the Nobel, no, Nobel. Yeah. And then it's Nobel. Pulitzer and mm-hmm. then it's... Oscar. Tony. Tony. Oh, Tony, God. yeah. Because <laughs> she was interested in being a playwright. Yes. But even in that third time when he asks her, she's like, mm, you know, I don't really think about that anymore. And then she says, okay, maybe a Tony. So that dreamer side of her, it's fading again, but it's still there just enough. Yeah. Just enough to make all these things possible. I think, yeah. And she is more involved in her career you know she is critiquing younger writers now so she's like on the other end of the industry in a sense at the very end Mm -hmm. of the movie i think the dreamer side of her is still alive maybe just as much as in the beginning it's just evolved like if she wanted to dream that big and get the tony she would but i think she's not complacent but she is comfortable with not having to strive for the awards and being more comfortable with her art, if anything. The dreamer side of her is still, I think, very much alive in a sense. And I'm only realizing this now a little bit too, but the reason I say that is because at the end, when she doesn't leave with Hesung or there's no kiss or, you know, it's just the silence goodbye. And then she walks away. She, she walks back to Arthur and she cries in his arms. I think for her to cry over that kind of interaction, it's like the little Nora dreamer side of, yeah, he would marry me in a heartbeat if I asked him to kind of dreamer coming back out and having to get that closure. That dreamer side of her is dying out in a sense. 
But it's also interesting to see that, like how you mentioned earlier with his song asking, oh, do you still cry a lot like you used to? She was crying in his arms in the beginning, in a sense, or around him, at least, like being comfortable to cry around him and, and be her. And you see that with her now with Arthur instead. Wow. That's a great, yeah, that's a great catch. Thank you. I didn't even think <laughs> about that. I literally was thinking about that when you were talking earlier about like young Nora versus older Nora. And like when we were talking about if there's any similarities between the two, the two men, Hisong and Arthur. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the big thing that is similar between them is just how they make her feel. They make her feel safe and she's able to let out the little crier Nora in her. Mm-hmm. Do you imagine that's the first time she's cried since? Maybe not, but from what we got to see, yeah, maybe. Because we don't see her cry at all, and she seemed to be stuck on, you know, I stopped crying once I moved. That's true. And we don't see that ever until that moment. But that moment of this long take, I love the long takes in this film. Yeah. This tracking shot of her just walking by herself, slowly again slowly and then she slowly becomes more emotional and then once she's in arthur's arms she lets it out yeah i didn't notice how long of a walk it was and how slow burning it was like how we've been saying this whole time until the second watch through and i thought it was interesting because in the second watch through i'm like waiting for the moment that i'm gonna cry where it's like they're talking right but now i'm like kind of forced to sit through them just walking towards the uber and then i'm forced to watch her before she cries in arthur's arms i'm forced to watch her walk the same exact path back and i'm like oh i don't know it's almost kind of like the whole movie like she's with this one guy at first and they have to part ways and then she's she's kind of going through everything maybe memory lane even on the way back kind of without him whoa that's just a simple (laughs) like tracking shot too and i'm like wait Tracking shots, the pans, the slow pans, the slow zooms. It's all just very slow, no rush. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's funny that you're saying how different that scene was of her walking the second time you watched it. Because when I was watching that big scene of where they're staring at each other, waiting for the Uber, I felt that scene was so much longer the first time I watched it. I was holding my breath in the theater and once they (laughs) departed from each other i like (gasps) isn't that amazing how simple that is and how no words are spoken but it's that powerful of a scene to provoke tears to provoke a gasp and like time is standing still this absolutely increased suspense of what could happen in this moment right now yeah did you find that 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 moment too was different the second time you watched it i did too I also agree with like the first time I was watching it, I was holding my breath and I was waiting for those moments when they would speak. But the second time around, I know what's said and I'm watching all the stuff in the in-betweens to kind of get a read on like, okay, was I missing something with Nora? Like as much as my brain was like, no, hopeless romantic, go with his song. <laughs> when you see the silences and, and you're forced to watch the body languages, like you see that it's it's really not going to happen. Yes. And I, I think when you watch the in-betweens, you kind of get that reality check compared to what you're hopeful for during the dialogue. 
Mm. Mm-hmm. That's very well put. Thank you. <laughs> so now that you are seeing it a second time with more insight, knowing what's going to happen, looking out for more clues, did you feel like, okay, it makes more sense now that she was with Arthur or just even the first time you watched it, did you have that conflict of like, ah, oh, did she make the right decision? Did she end up with the right guy? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I definitely went through all of that. The first time I had watched it, I was biased rooting for his song. And I think I was purposely trying to not like Arthur in a sense at times. Ah. So like kind of be more hopeful for this unrealistic ending that I wanted to happen. The second time around watching it now, I think she made a great decision by staying with Arthur. And honestly, I would have too. I would have stayed with Arthur had I been through the same exact things and it's the same exact timing of everything. Like, yeah, I'd stay with Arthur. So we've talked a little bit about the writing. Um, Is there a line in the film that sticks out to you the most? Oh, I think... As of like in this moment, it's probably the line that little girl does exist, but she's not here anymore. I feel like that's kind of where I'm at a little bit with myself in life right now. The little me that, you know, was in love with other people or wanted to be in a band or be a doctor or something like that. Like she's there, but she's not me now. Like I want to be a cinematographer. I am surrounded by way different people than I was before. I know a lot more about life now and I'm very happy with where I'm at and I don't think I would want to change that and go back to the old me either. I guess that's where I very much relate to Nora and I think that's why I really agree with her decision to stay with Arthur too, especially the second time around watching that movie. It's like, no, 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 no. Let your old self exist. Let yourself enjoy your friendship with this person, but you are not the person that they knew you as like you are you and the people who know you for you are the people you're with now Arthur or you know the people in New York that she interacts with on a daily basis Mm -hmm. I love that connection you have with the film because it's at that point of life where you know she's 24 in the second part of the film Mm -hmm. and you're probably right around that age if not that age so it makes sense to be able to connect with Nora in that way and it does bring about this idea of the variety of ways people can connect to this film maybe not through the romance of the first love current love reality Mm -hmm. you you choose to be with in the end but in the career ways of Nora having that childhood side of her and the person she has grown to become so I love that you're able to relate in now three ways I guess (laughs) oh my god (laughs) very much if i have like a coming of age movie this is it (laughs) honestly if i made a coming of age film about myself it would be very similar to this too and i'd infuse ladybird a little bit yeah (laughs) um so there's a line said early on in the film by nayong's mom Mm -hmm. if you leave something behind you gain something too yeah it's said so early in the film but how important that is in terms of her life and it wasn't said to a young Nora it was said to hey song's mom two characters who aren't really once really hardly in the film one isn't shown after the first 20 30 minutes or so yeah and it's, it's just this perfect line 
I wrote down a few lines that I thought were so good. There's one where she and Haesung are walking, and Nora's talking about Arthur. She says, it's like planting two trees in one pot. Our roots need to find their place. Mm, that's powerful. Yes. That line is especially fascinating to think about because if you're looking at it in, in terms of Nora and Sung, she found her place in New York. Mm-hmm. And he's still kind of looking. He's not fully settled yet, you know? Yeah. Or if he is, it's definitely in South Korea. Yes. Not in New York. <laughs> yeah. Not not New York. <laughs> no. And then in this moment, we had referred to it earlier about Nora and Arthur are in bed talking about what kind of story they have versus what kind of story she and Sung have. He says, you dream in a language that I can't understand. Oh. It's like. <laughs> that one hurt. I know. It's like. There's this whole place inside of you where I can't go. I think that's actually the part where Song has access to. Yeah. I feel like the first act where they're kids, that's them being the little saplings and they have the beginnings of their roots, right? But mm-hmm. as they grow older, like obviously they're in different pots, different cities, different countries. And then they have to live their own lives. They grow up, you know, Song. He dates another girl. Nora gets married. They're doing different careers, living different lives, doing different jobs. So their roots grow more and more. And Arthur gets to see more of the roots that grow later. Like you said, he doesn't have access to those early roots. But he does make a very good and brave and, I don't know, like very, very... He puts a lot of effort into getting to know those roots for Nora, though, that I feel like... His song doesn't, like he does put effort in, but not nearly as much as Arthur to get to know the older Nora and the stuff that he doesn't have access to as much, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's learning the language. Yeah. Literally, Arthur is speaking and learning the language. Do you think that in that bar scene, when he's listening to Hey song, <laughs> do you think he knows and is catching up on some of the things he's saying? I think... I think he's picking up like a few words here and there, maybe that he would recognize, but he probably doesn't know everything that's being said. I also think Arthur seems like a very good guy, especially going through the second walkthrough with the movie where he respects Nora's, you know, her individuality and he gives them moments of privacy to like actually catch up as just them too. He probably heard like a couple things, but he's trying to let them have their moment as well and not focus on it. Mm-hmm. He's also in kind of a similar place in life that she is very mature. You know, he's already found his own place. They're both independently successful and their paths align very well. Their lifestyles, what they want in life. And almost just now I'm thinking about it, mirrors her parents in a way because they were both artists yeah. in some extent. Her dad was a film director. Her mom was, oh, what, what was her mom? She was... um. A writer? She's an artist. Ah. Okay. So two artists, and it mirrors Nora and Arthur in a way because they're both writers, both, I mean, Arthur's a published author who has a line of people waiting to meet him with signed books. Mm -hmm. She has a different kind of success. She's with more of the writing workshop type for playwrights and hopefully plays to be written, which that would be cool if we do 
in another life when we get a sequel to this film. <laughs> if we see her with the established play, you know, getting a Tony. That'd be interesting. That'd be fascinating. Maybe we'll kind of see it if Past Lives wins some awards. Essentially, oh like, you know, for Celine Song. <laughs> I really hope this gets the recognition it deserves mm -hmm. at the Oscars. Because, yes, the competition is intense this year. It's going to be the best Oscars season since 2020. But this film, I would be really concerned if this film doesn't get recognized. Because this is true cinema. You know, this is a real film. They don't make them like past lives anymore. <laughs> so if they don't recognize this, and I get it, there's a lot of competition, and it's my third favorite film of the year. I have my two others that will probably be more forefront in the Oscar race. But this one, I still see on Twitter, people are like, we haven't forgotten about Greta Lee. You got to nominate her. What do you think? Do you think it will rightfully get Oscar recognition? I really hope so. Out of all the movies I've seen this year, and honestly, this year was a big year for me to go back into watching movies at the theaters and, and making efforts okay. to actually like, oh, I see a trailer, I like, let's go watch it. Even if it's not in theaters around me, like, let's make an effort to watch it on streaming platforms and stuff. This is the one that really stood out the most because I connect to it, but also because it is, like we said earlier, it's very different. It's slow burning. It's subtleties, it's silence, and it's using kind of the opposites of what we usually find with other films, kind of, to tell the story and make certain details stand out more, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a very hard thing to do and to keep people's attention with, too, and the fact that they were able to keep attention for me throughout the whole movie and keep me like on my toes, like, oh my god, she could still run away. I think that's very telling of how skillful they are in their work. I agree. Very well said. I hope it gets awards. It really should. It would be truly concerning if it doesn't. If people still value cinema, which I hope they do. This is such an original story. We haven't seen really anything like it. Sure, there are some inspirations we see in there through, you know, the Before trilogy. Um... I haven't seen anyone write about or make connections to Michelangelo Antonioni's work, but I absolutely see it. Mm -hmm. And there was another one. Have you seen Taste of Cherry? I have not. It's this Iranian film from 1997. Mm -hmm. And Nora and his song as they're walking around New York City. There's points that we just hear a voiceover of them and we kind of lose them in the bushes as the camera slowly moves around and... They start off in this one area at a very like extreme wide shot. Then we lose them, and then we, the camera is a little bit closer to them, mm -hmm. not really cutting in between. But that's used in Taste of Cherry, where we would see a car driving, but we would hear a voiceover of the conversation in the car, just talking about life. And there's some beautiful quotes in that film. And um, speaking of other inspirations, I love the Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind reference. Ooh. Have you seen that film? I haven't seen that. Oh my gosh. You got to watch that one. What's the reference though? She recommends it to him while they're Skyping. Mm -hmm. And we do see Sung watch it. And ah, I can't spoil it, but I was reading articles about the connections because I couldn't quite understand that connection at first and why these two films should be paired. But 
after reading an analysis on it, it makes so much sense. It's something to do with Montauk. That's all I'll say, because I don't want to spoil it for you. Oh, um, okay. There's some deep connection there, and the timing of the film and every... Oh, that is one... It's one of my favorites. you got to watch it. It's so good. <laughs> I have, like, a few to add to my list already from just our conversation alone, so... And your new Hollywood recommendations, your 70s film recommendations are coming. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's go. I'm already thinking of some. Um, another thing about Before Sunrise, I didn't notice this until I was watching a video earlier. It was this brilliant analysis by, I want to get his name, um, Matthew Cote. He made a video on the eyes of past lives. I believe that's what it's called. It was like this analysis and it was excellent. And he mentions in that scene where they're sitting in front of the carousel, it's another long take stationary shot. And we see them. One looks at the other. The other one's not looking. And then the opposite happens. She's, you know, looking at him and then he's looking away. Mm-hmm. You've seen Before Sunrise, right? I haven't. I'm sorry. I know. Oh my gosh. I I'm a cinematographer, but I am very bad with watching movies and films. <laughs> I got to get on it. This won't spoil anything. So we're good. But... There's a moment in Before Sunrise where it's silent and we see the two main characters. One's looking at each other when the other one isn't. They're not catching each other's eye, but when the other's looking, the other one isn't. And then back and forth. I didn't notice that until this video. And I thought that was just brilliant because it's so subtle. And it's before they start speaking and, you know, the can of worms are opening of, why did you try and find me? Yeah. It's like that suspense kind of leading up to the big dialogue where it's like, one person wants to say something, but then they don't and they back away. And the other person reaches out, but then that first person's not looking, so they wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. It's like a game of tag. It is. It is an eye contact game of tag. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also wrote down some of the parallels, because we had made some parallels earlier, and there are some that we haven't mentioned that were really cool. So towards the beginning of the film, when they're in the car together, 12 years old, we see a shot of Sung looking out the window. Exactly what we see, the last image of Sung that we see in the end of the film here. Mm-hmm. I love that little parallel. Oh, um, were they like back at that like crossroad, essentially? Yeah, it's when they were both in the car together, they were holding hands and she was asleep. And we see him like looking out the window. And then right before the film ends, we get a quick glimpse of Sung looking out the window before we just see this New York City. Yes, that parallel. There's also the other, like, oh, when um, they were at the Uber and they're, like, kind of just looking at each other for a bit before they say bye. They did the same thing where it's, like, they're at the, the crossroads when they were back in South Korea and they're about to say goodbye and she's going to move away. Yeah, I thought those parallels were so cool because you get to see... You get to see the parts of little them that are still there, but then you see the reality and the worlds that they are in now and how different it is. And also when Nora first emigrated to Canada, how lonely she was in school. Yeah. And then we see Sung arriving in New York and he's very lonely at first. Oh, that's true. There's also Nora and Sung having a great story, Nora and Arthur having a boring story. Mm-hmm. And Sung being self-described as ordinary while Arthur is successful. Oh, true. Oh, my gosh. 
those are some interesting like contradictions but like it's cool yeah this film is so deep it's amazing (laughs) and then as you pointed out the walking to the uber in silence and their last time seeing each other in korea i love that we do get that flashback to them in that moment while they're leaving again at the end of the film that flashback to when they were kids yeah it's so good um so this is a point i'm having trouble wording this but i was interested in the use of technology in this film oh it's really hard to describe but i know you know cell phones that kind of communication has kind of cheapened communication in a way in film like we don't really want to see that we want to see like actual conversations and such and even big directors will make films from decades ago and they kind of avoid that issue but the technology that was used in this film it wasn't too much it was just a perfect amount and very well integrated with reality like we see as they're walking to the restaurant the three of them we just see people on the side on their cell phones Mm -hmm. on the ferry people are taking selfies on the side in the background of them with the statue of liberty then she's taking pictures of him but it's not just one picture it's the multiple pictures because that's what we do in this day and age we don't just take one options Um, (laughs) oh absolutely and i think she did try like landscape and portrait oh my god (laughs) i mean the communicating through the skype uh basically facetime you know it's that kind of communication was so genuine and it didn't sending emails to each other (laughs) yes and i didn't think the technology use in this film at all cheapened the communication it was used so perfectly and just enough and I was curious if you happened to catch on to this, too. I noticed that a lot in the second section or act, whatever you want to call it. Oh. Um, that is where a lot of their time is spent. And that's, I mean, it's the only way they can spend their time together, too, right? Or yeah. the time to communicate with each other because it's long distance. It's different countries. Like, they're not able to just pick up and go and drop their lives for a hot second. I think. Yeah, we usually don't want to show kind of like technology or like text messages kind of thing in films usually. But I think it was so integral and it's just so important for this story to continue where it just kind of felt natural and right. They definitely used it when it was needed and not any more than that. Mm -hmm. And it added to the story greatly. I mean, those Skype calls... There was a genuineness to it. There was a realness to it. And mm-hmm. they are talking face to face. And they really Skyped throughout the day. Like they went out of their way to do that. To stay up because they or change yes. their sleeping schedules. Yes. Like that's a lot. They, it is. You get tired after a while. Yeah. It makes sense why she needed to take the time to focus on herself, you know? It really does. She had to change her whole schedule. I mean, even she had said, I'm looking at flights to Seoul when I should be focusing on the life that I am in right now living. Yeah. And it became a distraction. But I just, I don't know, the way technology was used, I felt like it didn't cheapen the story at all. It just, it aided it. And I hope to see more films like that where we can infuse technology, present day use of technology in a way that complements the story and it doesn't make it feel like ugh you know yeah i agree i also really enjoyed that they kept in mind how technology would progress like in that second Mm -hmm. act they're using the old facetime kind of look and 
using yes. QuickTime player or the old Facebook <laughs> look too. I thought that was really neat. The nostalgia of older social media is something we're going to see more of. <laughs> <laughs> I'll enjoy it. Me too. I was just watching, Um, have you seen the film Young Adult? Oh, I don't think I have, but I, I've been trying to see it. I've seen it like, I'm not exaggerating, like 20 times. <laughs> I love it. Charlize Theron's one of my tied for favorite actress. It's from 2011. And this film was set in, in that second part was 2012. Well, I think. I mean, when she goes off to the artist residency, she writes her name on the wall and it says Nora Moon 2012. Mm-hmm. So I would think that that time when they are like talking is 2012 too, when it's not a major time jump. Yeah. But that's around the same time. And you would see like the old emails and the apps and the print like yeah it's just cool i don't know that nostalgia of technology now since it's been over 10 years it's like the stuff that we kind of grew up with when we were kids yes which is really cool because we definitely don't see that in a lot of newer shows and movies these days mm-hmm. there was something about that time the early 2010s you know the beginning of social media where it didn't become this major of a craze and has grown exponentially to where we are now yeah it seems a little bit smaller back then yeah like it, it was just used to actually keep up with people that you lost contact with and that's the reason that they used it to find each other again in a sense yeah real genuine use yeah of technology which is really cool so we did talk a little bit about the inyun montage Mm-hmm. But I was curious if that is something that you believe in or you hope to believe in. Inyun? Yeah. Oh, I would say I do. At least for the me in this moment now, like 23-year-old me, I like to think that, yeah, there are different versions of me or different lives that I've lived where, you know, things worked out with certain people or... I did this thing instead of, like, I did this career path instead of what I'm doing now, maybe. But I think the biggest thing with Inyon isn't getting lost in, like, what those possibilities are. It's more like finding the comfort in the life you're living now and enjoying the decisions you make now and, you know, leaving those what-ifs to the other lives that you're essentially have lived or will live later. I think that's the big thing with Inyun for me is just finding that comfort. Yeah. And when they were sitting at the bar thinking, what were we in our past life? Like the possibilities that they were suggesting from royalty to <laughs> a loveless marriage to sitting on a branch as birds. Yeah. If that was portrayed in the film visually to the audience, that would have a very everything everywhere all at once kind of. I think so too yeah that's what I was thinking when I was hearing those lines really yeah I was like that would be so funny to see them just as a tree and a bird yes and that film made it possible to even think about that to be shown on screen like that film broke barriers of creativity and them just sitting here just talking about it it's like the rocks you know the mother daughter with the rocks and how moving that was And it's still moving hearing them think about the possibilities, like the wide ranging possibilities of what they were to each other in a past life or past lives. Yeah, I think that's the cool part with it all. And what makes the ending really cool is when Hyesung asks again about this Inyeon moment before he gets into the Uber. She says, 
I don't know. And she kind of just leaves it at that, I think. And it's interesting because it's all this like extra dreaming of what these past lives were. But now she's like, no, no, no. Let me stay in this moment and in this life. That was a cool contrast compared to the dreaming and like wondering that we were just talking about, like being a bird and a branch. I'm so happy you brought that up. (laughs) Her saying, I don't know, because it's almost like a default response at that point. Mm -hmm. She doesn't quite think about these possibilities as maybe a song does more actively when she is having that conversation with him at the bar you know she is contributing and she's thinking about all these possibilities but in general she'll just say i don't know yeah i think that's what makes me think that if they were to get together they would end up breaking up in some points because it's like hey song's coming to her with the child him in mind and like mm. keeping that childlikeness to him where he's like wondering all these things. But in my eyes, it's kind of more mature to just be like, I don't know and leave it at that. And not break your brain trying to figure out. Yeah. You're not going through like all these different thoughts and everything. You're just kind of being confident in, in the unknown a little bit more, which I think comes with age and just, yeah, growing up. <laughs> Yeah. And when they reunite, I love that scene as well. You see Sung really nervous, and then out of nowhere, when you least expect it, Sung, And it's Nora. Yeah. And he was so nervous. They have this awkward moment where they briefly talk about the weather. <laughs> <laughs> so how's the weather been? Yeah, it's so awkward, but I mean, it makes sense, and it's so natural. Like, that's the thing about this film. It feels so natural. Yeah. I think that's the cool thing. And that's what kind of makes their connection a little bit more genuine than like, I guess, some other young love kind of situations that you would see in movies is like, they really were kind of just friends and they stuck to that and they care about each other. And, you know, when they meet again, even if it's 20 something years later, like the energy will pick back up where it left off. Even if it's a little awkward at first, it picks back up and you can see that happen. Yeah, they go right into repeating the same word and then laughing, and they just pick up right where they left off. And at that point, it had been 12 years since they spoke. Mm -hmm. That's so wild. Um, So after I watched the film in the theater, I went outside. I always like to take a picture of the poster, sometimes a selfie of me and the poster. And this woman came up to me who was in the theater watching the film too. She had some great thoughts, and we were both kind of just talking about it, analyzing the film. And I've never really had that kind of moment with anyone. Like I had just gone to the movies by myself, but she and I start talking about this film and we have this great conversation. She brings up how this film reminded her of The Bridges of Madison County, starring Clint Eastwood and Meryl Streep. Mm -hmm. And it was so funny because I was just before that, I was thinking about really wanting to rewatch that film. So it was a really weird moment especially considering the subject matter about inyun and everything means something this little conversation it was just really cool to have that experience after the film yeah like they described it as it could be as small as just you'd brush shoulders with someone by accident on like a sidewalk Mm -hmm. i think that is so interesting because i was actually (laughs) it's kind of funny how you mentioned that because my experience watching it in theaters was I was going to go alone, actually. I had just seen Joyride (laughs) in theaters. Ah. I was doing like a double movie night. And 
I was going to watch Past Lives, but one of my friends was really sad about a breakup he had or stuff like that. And I was like, hey, you mm-hmm. want to go like watch this? And it kind of oh. turned into a therapeutic moment for both of us. It was really cool. Therapeutic and like it didn't open a wound anymore. Yeah, it kind of, I mean, it might have opened a little bit of a wound, but like watching that movie was something that I think we both needed in that moment. And I think it was kind of cool that I got to like have him watch it, especially in the moment he was having. So like Inyun. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. We both have these little stories that connect to the film. I mean, of all films, you know, that's just so cool. Yeah. Um, let's see. So there's a line that connects before midnight and this film, mm-hmm. but you haven't seen the first one, so I won't say it, but I mean, it wouldn't spoil it. You can go for it. Okay. So another connection to the before trilogy, I read this article on the twingeeks.com by Vaughn Swearing, Swearingen. I hope I'm saying his last name correctly. He cites a line from before midnight that says, If you want true love, then this is it. This is real life. It's not perfect, but it's real. Ooh. Ooh. Right? Yeah. It fits so well with this film. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... (sighs) It's just what Nora says to Arthur. Yeah. Like, the fact is, she's with him, and she loves him. In that moment, she's with him. Like, I don't know. It doesn't get any more real than that yeah and she didn't settle she chose him exactly as a cinematographer Mm -hmm. what about the film stood out to you were there any shots that really caught your eye oh oh that is a very good question oh thank you (laughs) um I think one of the big ones is definitely the crossroads when they're kids. And it's like the splitting paths with the straight path on the left and Nora's path on the right with the stairs. That was a very big, important shot. Another one, I would say... Ooh. Oh, that's so... I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of every single moment in this movie now. I'm like, oh, oh this gosh. is good. This is good. Um... There's a shot where Nora and Arthur meet for the first time, I think. And they have that oh. conversation at Vinyan. I think that was a really good one. Yes. I liked how they had like the string lights and it felt very like the lighting was romanticized. And in that same moment, you have his song meeting the girlfriend at like the restaurant. And mm-hmm. it's not country. It's, it's the contrast. It's very city, but you have like those neon lights. It's romanticized in a city way. I think those oh. contrasting, it kind of gives like the splitting paths, but in their own terms, in their own scenarios, like specific to where they are. Their own worlds, yeah. their own lives. You get to watch the paths that they take a little bit more deeper. Wow. Yeah, that is, a, that is so true. That's such a opposing contrast. And it just makes sense that, yeah, they are from two different worlds. It just does not work in this life. Yeah. They don't have that 8,000 inyon. Nope. Not in this life. Not in this life. But, I mean, it, it seems close because they do have their cross paths, but again, their paths are just not crossing in this life. Another shot that is like one of the images that summarize the film 
is when they're holding the handlebar on the subway. Yeah. And they're staring at each other. Their hands are so close. They're not touching, but they're so close. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. The pool kind of connects them in a sense. I mean, literally and figuratively. Yes. It's kind of like, this is that moment in life where your paths do cross again and you're taking the moment to be in it. But once they get off that ride or whatever and, you know, their hands get off the pole and they go on their own separate ways. It's like when he leaves to go back to South Korea. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and do you believe in past lives? Do I believe in past lives? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Do you imagine what your past lives would be? Have you thought about that? All the time. Really? All the, <laughs> No, yeah. I, I think now that I've graduated college recently and I'm trying to get more into my career, I'm thinking like, oh my God, what if I actually graduated with this major instead? Or what if I choose to do this instead of this right now? Where will my life go? Kind of thing. I think I'm doing it both retrospectively and like trying to predict my future in a sense. So past and future lives. Yeah. I love that. And you're already, I see that you do these cool gigs for your work and it's, oh, it's so cool. And you're already headed upwards on the stairs like Nora is. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> on a scale of one to 10, if you were to write this film, what would you write it? 10. <laughs> 10. I'm so biased. It's 10. <laughs> So it is up there as maybe your best film of the year so far. Yeah. Maybe even one of your favorites in general, if you give it a 10 out of 10. Oh, yeah, for sure. Wow. I was walking through Target and I saw that there were so many movies that I had seen this year, finally on DVD. It amazed me how fast things go on DVD now and like on streaming platforms compared to before. But I was like, okay, realistically, which one of these movies would I want to buy and watch again and again and again? And it was past lives. I was like, this is the one. Yeah. It's a timeless classic now. Yeah, it is. This would be like one of those movies I have in my bookshelf and my kids are like, oh, what's this? And they watch it. Mm -hmm. It'll last till then. It's going to be, and I hope it will be regarded as a classic and not just fall in the mix of all the other franchise films that come out today. This is a truly original film. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have been wanting to have you on for a while now. You're such a supporter of all the film things, and I really, really appreciate it. And I'm already looking forward to when our next episode is. I'm already thinking of at least three or four films that you would maybe be interested in that are 70s New Hollywood. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. I'd love to do more. Thank you for having me on as well. This is a very new experience for me. And I, I hope what I said makes sense to everyone and, and to you. And it doesn't sound like awkward when I listen back to it and hear my own voice. <laughs> That's okay. I'm the same way. Editing myself is part of why it takes me so long to edit these because I jumble my words and I feel like I make no sense. So I get it. Honestly, I don't think you're as bad as me. <laughs> you made so much sense. You did too. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm so relieved. <laughs> Is there anything you would like to end our episode with today, whether it be a plug or a film recommendation, a quote, anything that you would like to conclude our episode with? Oh, um, I think film recommendation, a thousand and one. 
it was a film by A.V. Rockwell. It also came out in 2023. I would say that movie and Past Lives, my top movies from this year, easily. When did 1001 come out? That's not familiar to me. I think it came out between April and June. Okay, wow. So right around the time of Past Lives then. I think that was June. Yeah, it was around the same time because I had actually watched that one first and then I watched Past Lives about a month later. Okay. Yeah. Those are your two top for the year and recommendations. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll have to check that out. If it's not a horror film, then I can watch it. It's not a horror film. Okay. Well, we're good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Everyone check out 1001 and Past Lives. Past Lives is excellent. And thank you again for joining me, Josie. I'm so happy that we got to do this. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Thank you all for listening. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Special thanks to Josie Cruz, Christina Santiago, Craig Pedroza, Lena Smith, and Caitlin Fitzpatrick. This episode was recorded on November 26th, 2023.